0: Great to be with you guys this morning. My name's Daniel, as Tim said. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Um, You know, if you think about it, pray for Dwayne. He really is in a lot of pain. (laughs) He's probably watching us right now, and I'm sure he's glad to hear we're talking about him and thinking about him. So pray for him if you get the chance. And why don't we do that now and also pray that God would teach us this morning. Would you pray with me? God, uh, we're grateful for Dwayne, and we pray that you would be with him. Pray that you would care for him and that you would heal him. Pray that you would surround him with people that love him and can support him. And God, we also pray that you would open our eyes to hear one of your commandments this morning, the fourth commandment, and that you would help us understand it, that you would convict us, that you would comfort us, and that you would challenge us by it. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, Uh, If you're not familiar with the Bible, if you don't know where Exodus is, Exodus is the second book in the Bible. So if you're in Genesis, you haven't gone far enough. If you're in Leviticus, get out of there, man. Go back. You've gone too far. Suffice it to say, Leviticus is probably the best way to describe is the graveyard of all Bible reading plans. So we're in Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. This is the fourth commandment that God gave his people when they came out of Egypt. And this is his word. It's Exodus chapter 20. Beginning in verse 8 through verse 11. This is God's word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your works, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of God. So I wanna start this morning with a quote from a man named J.C. Ryle. He said it over 150 years ago, but I think it's good for us to think about this morning. Here's what he said. There is a vast quantity of, of so-called Christianity in which there's undeniably something about Christ and something about grace and something about faith and something about repentance and something about holiness, but it's not the real thing as it is in the Bible, but things out of place and out of proportion. And that was written 150 years ago, but it's great to ask ourselves this question today. And it, it doesn't matter whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, but what is out of place and out of proportion in your life? What's out of place and out of proportion? Think about your life for just a moment. Now I'm going to share some statistics with you that maybe we can drill down on maybe what is out of place and out of proportion. In 2016 and 2017, the U.S. Census Bureau said that Denver has the second highest educated population of any U.S. city. So we are a city of intellectuals. Can you guess what number one is? It's uh, Boonville, Mississippi. No, it's not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not Boonville, Mississippi. <laughs> I, I spent some time in the South so I can make that joke, by the way. <laughs> I don't know what number one is. But hey, we're number two. So that's good. All right, 2015 through 2017 U.S. Census Bureau said Denver residents ranked in the top 10 for most hours worked. That's an average of 42 hours a week. So we're a city of intellectuals. We're also a city of hard workers, 42 hours a week. And so can you guess, in a city brimming with intellectuals, of working professionals, can you guess what the most common feeling and complaint among people who live in Denver is? It's busy. It's busyness. Busyness. Last statistic here. That was like Denver specific. Here's just Americans. Americans on average, per year, work 60 hours more than their Japanese counterparts. 120 hours more than those who live in the U.K., and nearly 300, 297 more hours than French workers. That's why they're so happy all the time, by the way. It's not just because of the cheese and bread and wine. It's because they obviously don't work. (laughs) I I didn't live in France, so I'm not allowed to make that joke, but I made it anyway. I say, okay, so we're highly educated, hardworking, and busy people. So much so, this is a quote from Stephanie Smith. She's the coordinator with the American Psychological Association. She described Denver in these terms. She said, Denver is America's super anxious, overworked enclave. Denver is a more crowded, more fast-paced community than it was even five or ten years ago. And now there seems to be even more stress around working as many hours as possible. Do you feel this? Who's tired here? Just show of hands. (laughs) Okay. Coffee bars in the back, by the way, just in case you need it. But everyone feels this, right? Kevin DeYoung, he's an author. He wrote this in 2013. It was a book called Crazy Busy. And he talks about how he started feeling busy in high school. And then it just escalated when he got into college. And then he got into grad school and it escalated even higher. And then he wrote, and this was all before I was really busy. The only people busier than single grad students are people who aren't single and aren't grad students. All those years in school, I wasn't married. I wasn't in full-time work. I wasn't a blogger writing books. I wasn't leading meetings. I wasn't speaking anywhere. I wasn't a slave to technology. I didn't have a mortgage or how to figure out how to mow my lawn or to fix my furnace or to get the red dead dead raccoon out of my fireplace. I didn't have to travel. I didn't have Facebook or Twitter. Hardly anyone emailed me, and I wasn't parenting a child, let alone five He wrote that in 2015, by the way. It's 2019. He now has eight. So. (laughs) Oh. Children are a blessing, okay? (laughs) All right, do you guys feel this way? You feel busy? You feel busy? I think it's fair to say, I think this is fair to say, how we spend our time as Coloradans, even though we live with every recreation possible at our fingertips, I think it's fair to say that how we spend our time is out of place and out of proportion. And so we've been, why, why mention all this? Well, we've been focusing the last couple of weeks on the cruciform life, okay? Which literally means the shape of the cross. That's what cruciform means. And we've seen that God's way of life is cross-shaped. That Jesus, who is the son of God, when he came down to earth and took on flesh, he had one mission and an objective, and it was to go to the cross. And every aspect of his life was cross-shaped, He went to the cross to lay down his life for the benefit of others and to suffer for the sake of the undeserving and to show us that the way to happiness, hear me on this, the way to happiness, the way to blessing, and the way to flourishing is the cruciform life. It's the way of the cross. And now the the way of the cross, it can sound really morbid and it, it can sound dark, but Jesus actually tells us that it's the way to flourishing. And I think nothing shows us that more than how God tells us to spend our time. See, because I find it really interesting. It's really interesting, right? Because our experience is not unique. We just said that this passage that we just read here came from the book of Exodus. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the, the story of Exodus is the story of God's people who were rescued and delivered out of slavery in Egypt. So it's written, and God's giving these commandments to people who worked day in. And day out without rest, without reprieve, without relief, without a break. And isn't it funny that following his delivery from slavery in Egypt, when God gives his 10 commandments, 10 rules to live by, one of those rules is rest. The, the, the Hebrew word is literally Sabbath. It's, it literally means cease, stop, rest and worship God. That's God's solution for people like us who need to rest. It's uh, for people like us who even though we didn't live during this time, it's it's immediately applicable to our lives. So, when we look at this commandment, we see three things about the Sabbath. In verse 8, we see the purpose of the Sabbath. In verses 9 and 10, we see the pattern of the Sabbath, and then in verse 11, we're going to see the privilege of the Sabbath. First point, the purpose of the Sabbath. We see immediately that the Sabbath is a day to remember it's a day to remember. Verse eight, God says, remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Now, when we talk about remembering something today, we, we often think in terms of intellectual, right? Don't forget something. So if my wife tells me to remember to buy milk, I have to remember to stop at Costco on the way home and pick up a couple gallons of milk. Or if I have to a, a, a homework assignment due on Friday, I need to remember to study on Thursday. Or if you're like me at 6.15 a.m. on Friday morning. Okay? If you have a dentist appointment, you have to remember to put it into your phone. But in the Bible, the word remember is much richer than that. And it actually means commemorate. Means commemorate. And maybe an illustration will help here. My daughter McLean, she's gonna be turning three in a couple of weeks, and we've started this tradition in my house of what we do on our kids' birthdays. It started with my son Eli on his first birthday. So right before they're about to wake up, about five minutes before their alarm goes off, we sneak into their room, it's still dark. And my wife and I turn on the lights and we start singing happy birthday and we have a bunch of balloons that we shower into their bed and we shower it into their crib. And then we start snapping pictures and, you know, we have confetti and and we try and make the day special. That's what it means to commemorate something, right? You make it special. You make it distinct. You set it apart. And that's what God is saying here. It's not just a intellectual remembering, but it's a celebration. So how do do we commemorate the Sabbath? Not just intellectually, but in our hearts and our actions. Well, God actually tells us. Notice how he said, remember the Sabbath day, and we do that by keeping it holy, by keeping it holy. Now, holy in the Bible simply means this. It means that something when it's holy is set apart for the special service of God. So just think of the Old Testament, right? There was Israel, and they were the holy nation, which means out of all the world, they were surrounded by corrupt nations. Israel was set apart to be a people who would live for God, not in corruption. Or there was all the surrounding land full of injustice and false worship. The holy land was supposed to be a place set apart for the true worship of God and a place of justice. My dad, he, he was a super habitual person. He never wore anything different. Growing up, he always wore slacks, a polo shirt, and cowboy boots. And then on the weekends, he would wear cowboy boots, jeans, and a polo shirt, right? So he didn't change it up much. The first time I ever saw my dad wear a suit was when I was 22 and I was getting married. So he shows up to the wedding and he's wearing a really nice charcoal gray suit with a purple undershirt and a purple tie. He completely redid his hair and he was wearing a new pair of cowboy boots. <laughs> and I remember seeing him and just really being in, in awe, never having seen my dad like this. So after, after the ceremony, I went up and I talked to him and I said, you look really good, dad. I was like, I didn't even know you owned a suit. He said, well, of course, because I was saving it for a special day. And now, that, that's a good illustration of what holy means in the Bible. It means to set apart something for something special. So to remember and to commemorate the Sabbath is to make it a day of worship, to set it aside for the service of God and the worship of God. And now, full disclosure, this is really challenging for us today in our world, isn't it? To set aside time exclusively for the worship of God. And I think one of the reasons is because we have kind of a different approach to spirituality than the Bible gives us, all right? And I I think this is illustrated really well. A a man named Russ Dautat, he wrote a book recently called uh, Bad Religion, and he talks about how as Americans, it's not that we're becoming less religious as a people, but we're becoming religious in a different way. We're becoming spiritual in a different way. So for instance, he talks about, you know, 60 or 70 years ago, people would look outside of themselves to understand who God is, but now we're kind of turning inward and trying to find God within. Instead of going to, you know, a place of worship to hear the Bible taught or to take sacraments or to pray together, people instead are going into nature and trying to experience God in nature. It's called nature bathing, by the way. Anybody know about nature bathing? Anybody heard about this? It's actually a phenomenon. But we often hear people say things like this, right? Maybe we say stuff like this, like, Like, I find worshiping God easier in nature, not in church. I experience God more when I'm out in God's creation. Or, you know, I experience God on hikes and while snowboarding. And I don't know if setting aside one day to worship is necessary. It kind of seems like a formality. And that's just a different approach to spirituality. And I have to say this, too. There's actually a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in this approach to spirituality. Let me, let me share a quotation from, for you. It's from the Belgic Confession of Faith, which was a confession of faith that was written down nearly 500 years ago. But they said this, we can know God in two ways. The first way is by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe. Since that universe is before our eyes like a beautiful book in which all creatures, great and small, are like letters and words to make us ponder the invisible things of God. Isn't that so true? When you go out into creation, when you look at the mountains and the stars and the ocean, you know there is a God behind this. It's like an open book that we can read and know that there's a God who exists. We can connect with God in nature. But here's what I want to show you, that the Bible never stops there. The Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible always says those things are good, but that is not enough. The Bible says that something special happens on a Sunday when people gather and worship. And even the earliest followers of Jesus needed to be reminded of this. Even they needed to be reminded that this day is special. The author of Hebrews, he once put it like this. He said, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. So do you see what he's saying? What the author of Hebrews is saying is, don't neglect this day. Don't neglect the gathering together for worship because the Bible says when we gather to worship together, we're confronted, and Dwayne talked about this a little bit last week, but I'm gonna mention it again today, is we're confronted with what people call the ordinary means of grace. God uses ordinary things Ordinary things like reading the Bible and hearing the Bible preached. Ordinary things like praying together, taking sacraments of the Lord's Supper and watching baptism and enjoying fellowship with one another and singing truths to God. God is using these ordinary instruments and tools in order to apply his grace to us and increase our faith. Now, anybody who's ever volunteered with youth knows about the youth group experience or the mountaintop high of like a retreat Now, here's what happens. I used to be a former youth pastor and we would always take our kids down to Panama City Beach, Florida, or we would take them up to Estes Park in Colorado. And what would happen is we had this tradition where we would put a microphone up at the front of the room at the end of our time together after we'd spent a week with each other. And people would come up and the kids would share how they had grown spiritually throughout the week. And they would say the common things over and over again, year after year. They would say, I can't believe how much I grew in my knowledge of God by hearing teaching all week. And they would say, I have just grown so much closer to people who can hold me accountable in my faith. Or I never knew that praying so often could really help me grow closer in my relationship with God. And now, here's the thing. It's not as if God is like sitting at Panama City Beach, Florida or sitting up in Estes Park. Just like, oh, when are they going to come here? When are they going to come here? We don't, we don't have to go to those things in order to grow spiritually spiritually. But what the students realized is that they had just set aside time to do the things that God wants us regularly to encounter. They were just embracing the ordinary means of grace. And you can kind of put it this way, right? My wife and I, when we... When we were in Nashville, we had a horrible idea. It was called building a fence. If you've ever tried to build a fence, I encourage you, don't do it. It's expensive, and and your marriage will not be better as a result, I promise you. But here's what happened, right? We're doing this in Nashville, and we start out with a shovel, because you think that's all you need. And you go down, and the first thing you hit is a root that's about the size of your thigh, right? So then you're thinking, okay, what else do I have to do? So you throw that instrument aside, and you pick up a hatchet, and you start whacking the hatchet to break up this root. And finally you get the root cleared out of the way and you throw it out and you start digging again. But then all of a sudden you hit rock. And so I don't know what I'm doing, by the way, in building a fence. So I go and I grab a pickaxe and I start slamming the pickaxe into the ground and start creating stress fractures in there. Then I throw that instrument aside. I throw that tool aside and I grab a big sledgehammer and I break up all that stuff that I had started chipping. And all this, you know, rock would come to the surface and I'd remove it. I grab the post Put it in the hole, fill it with cement, and that was day four. (laughs) But here here was the point, right? Here was the point. I wanted to have the post sunk in the ground. That was the end goal. God's goal is to grow us spiritually. And he is going to use the ordinary things like preaching scripture, like praying with one another, like singing with one another. He's going to use those to mature us in our faith and grow us closer in our relationship with God. And we see this all the way throughout the Bible. Like pick any New Testament book and you'll see this. But I just want to mention a couple things from the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, the first sermon is preached. Peter preaches a sermon. It's off of Joel chapter 2, a book of the Old Testament. And people's response, their hearts were pricked and they repented and believed in Jesus. And God added 3,000 people to the church in that day. Or in Acts chapter 10, it's probably the weirdest story in the Bible. There's a man named Cornelius and he's praying to God and, and he's visited by an angel who tells him, Cornelius, your prayers in, have ascended as an alms as, and as a memorial before God. And as a result, God used his prayers to send Peter to come and preach the gospel to him and he repented and believed. So scripture and prayer. And then in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas... They're sitting in a prison prison cell, they're singing songs to God, and then immediately somebody who actually jailed them, the Philippian jailer who put them in jail, says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Just through the singing of songs. Jesus himself, Luke 24, he's speaking to two disciples as they're walking with him on a road. They turn aside and they start breaking bread together. They're sharing a communion meal together. And it said that their eyes were opened, they recognized Jesus and they believed in him. They said, we're not our hearts burning when he taught the scriptures to us. Ordinary things that God uses, an ordinary means of grace. And you can, you can think of it this way, right? Imagine there's a circle up here and this circle is just entitled ordinary means of grace. And in this circle, God is, you know, giving us scripture, he's giving us sacraments, he's giving us prayer, he's giving fellowship with one another. And inside that circle, we experience the love, the grace, the forgiveness, and the fellowship of God. And now if you're anything like me, it's those times when you feel so distant from God, when you feel like temptation is overcoming you, When you feel like life seems purposeless and hopeless, when you fail to see God at work in your lives, you're tempted to think, well, God must not be working. But in reality, what you've done is you've just stepped outside of the circle. You've stepped outside of the circle and taken yourself out of the way of the means that God would use to grow you spiritually. You say, I've removed myself from the means God would use to strengthen my faith. And that's why God, what God is telling us here. He's saying, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy by worshiping God. Because when we set aside Sunday for this special purpose of worship, we experience the purpose of the Sabbath, which is our spiritual good and growth. I love the way J.I. Packer put it. He said, We need to be reminded over and over again and tell ourselves over and over again, I'm a child of God, God is my father heaven is my home, every day is one day nearer, my savior is my brother who died for me, every Christian is my brother too, and I need to love and serve him. That's what we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. That's why God set apart one day so we could hear that message and be rejoiced and rejuvenated in it. See, so Sabbath observance, right, maybe you heard this and you're like, oh, I've heard a sermon on that before and it sounds really cold and ritualistic and it feels like just a performance. That's not how Jesus put it. Jesus said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, meaning it was for our spiritual good that God set aside this day. That's the reminder we need as overworked professionals that our greatest rest is found when we're refreshed by the good gifts God gives us in worship. So that's the purpose of Sabbath. Remember and keep it holy, set it aside exclusively for the worship of God. The second thing we see is the pattern of Sabbath in verses nine and 10. Beginning in verse nine, here's the pattern God instituted. He said, He said, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. John Calvin, he once had a quote and said, the human heart is a thick forest of thorns. And what he meant by that is that our pleasure and our desires as human beings are in constant competition with God, that we're actually in a rivalry against God. And theologians actually call this original sin. It's this biblical truth that we have a corrupt human nature. And because we have a corrupt human nature, sin is not just an act against God, but it's actually part of our DNA and we actually are enslaved to the power of sin. And, And I would just propose to you that nothing shows this reality more than how we order our time as human beings. How we order our times shows us how much we are in rebellion against God. Timothy Kreider, he's a writer for the New York Times. He's actually a cartoonist, but he wrote an essay recently entitled Busy Trap. And he said, Americans are addicted to being busy. And he continues by saying, almost everyone I know is busy. They feel anxious and guilty when they aren't either working or doing something to promote their work. They schedule in time with friends the way students with 4.0 GPAs make sure to sign up for community service because it looks good on their college applications. Even children are busy now. Scheduled down to the half hour with classes and extracurricular activities, they come home at the end of the day as tired as grown-ups, and then they must do homework until midnight. I was a member of the latchkey generation, he says, and I had three hours of totally unstructured, largely unsupervised time every afternoon. Time I used to do everything from looking at the World Book Encyclopedia to making animated films to getting together with friends in the woods to chuck dirt clods directly into each other's eyes. <laughs> By the way, that's what I do when people come into the church. So if you come in during a Monday through Saturday, watch out because I'm throwing, I'm throwing dirt clods. All of which provided we with the most important skills and insights that remain valuable to this day. And I love what he says here. He said those free hours became the model For how I wanted to live the rest of my life. See, God in His love and grace has given us a model of how we are to order our time. He gives us this pattern of Sabbath as a way to reorder our disordered desires to reflect more of the time that God would have us to spend. That's why verses 9 and 10 are so important, by the way. So you notice, God mentions a bunch of good things in verses 9 through 10. And ultimately what God is doing on the Sabbath is he's exposing how those desires can crowd out the thing that's most important, which is the worship of God. Because like I just think of my Sunday morning, you can think of your Sunday morning, but on Sunday morning, here's what I want to do. I want to wake up late. I want to check work emails. I want to catch up on chores, watch the Broncos golf, and then finish the day on the couch watching Netflix. That's what I want to do with my Sunday. But we see in verse 10 that Those things are good, but they're not the pattern of life that God intends for us. God has set aside this Sabbath where all of those good things can finally take their priority. Those good things that God has given to us and to enjoy, they can finally take their priority behind God as our exclusive focus and our exclusive purpose in life. So the things in verse 10, like our work, our sons and our daughters, our employers, our employees, our recreation, our entertainment, all these good things finally take their rightful place subservient to God on one day that God has set aside so that he can be worshiped first. I think G.K. Chesterton put it perfectly. He said, the point of God's law, his commandments, including the Sabbath commandment, is not to restrict good things. It is to give room for good things to run wild. I think that's really helpful. God is saying in these commandments, your work is a good thing. And he's given you Monday through Saturday to let that good thing run wild. Shopping, recreation, your children are good things. And God has given you Monday through Saturday to let those good things run wild. And the point is this, God does not give us this Sabbath command because he's trying to stifle our careers or take away our independence or trample out our freedom. Instead, God gave us the Sabbath commandment to rest because he wants us to be more like him. He actually says that explicitly in verse 11. And you're not not gonna understand any of the commandments or this commandment specifically, unless you know this. Why does God give us this commandment? Verse 11, because for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. See, just as God worked and rested, we too, as his image bearers, are to reflect God's pattern. And if you think about it, all of God's commandments are this way, right? Think of all the commandments. Just think of the seventh commandment. Do not commit adultery. Why does God give that command? He gives that command because God is a faithful God. He is a God who keeps his promises even when we don't keep his promises. So he gives us the seventh commandment so that we might be people who stay true to the ones that we love and we've made a commitment to. Why does God give us the eighth commandment of do not steal? Because God is a generous God. He's a giving God. He's not a God who withholds from us. Instead, he pours out his favor without us even deserving it. So he calls us too to be generous people. Don't steal from others. Instead, give back to people who don't deserve it. God is a God of truth. Ninth commandment, do not bear false witness. Do not lie. Why? Because we know when God tells us something, it's true. And we want to reflect that truth to the people around us. And so this Sabbath pattern is no different. Through the pattern of six days of week, Six days of work, one day of rest. God is slowly and progressively by his grace, making us more and more by it like himself. So I got a quiz question for you, okay? Because oftentimes we can think that these commandments are burdensome. Does anybody know how many laws are on the United States federal books? How many laws there are in the federal, that the federal US government has? Anybody know? It's a trick question. Nobody knows. There are so many, Nobody knows. Just, just I looked this up, by the way. There are 20,000 laws just on gun ownership. 20,000. Not on gun use, just gun ownership at the federal level. 20,000. And here's the thing. We can often think that God's commandments are burdensome. Friends, God has given us 10 ways of flourishing. 10 commandments that we might live to become more and more like God. It's the pattern that he's given us. And the Sabbath is no different. One day set aside, six days for work. And it reorients us and refashions us in his image. So that we've seen the purpose of Sabbath, set it aside, make it holy for the worship of God. The pattern of Sabbath, six days of work, one day of rest for our good. Lastly, the privilege of Sabbath. Verse 11, the privilege of Sabbath. And by the way, you're never gonna understand this commandment unless you understand that this is a privilege but let me start with this. So my son Eli, when we used to take him to the zoo, uh, when he was one year old, he loved giraffes. I mean, he, was, he, he wanted giraffes of everything. So the first place we brought him when we went to the zoo for the very first time, he's about one year old, we brought him to go see the giraffes. And we wheel him up right to the display, and there's a you know, concrete barrier that's going just about eye level, so he can't quite see the giraffes, but we didn't know that. But we're pointing at him and there's two giraffes and they're at the back of the cage. And we're saying, Eli, check it out. It's a giraffe. This is what we came here for, buddy. And he just seems completely blank faced. He looks tired. He's about to take a nap. And we're saying, no, Eli, you don't understand. There's the giraffes right over there. And finally, because he doesn't notice it, we lift him up onto his seat. We take him out of his his seat and we literally turn his head to the giraffes and his eyes get huge. He's like, mom, dad, there's a giraffe. He finally sees it for the very first time. And the point is this, God hasn't just given us the purpose of Sabbath or the pattern of the Sabbath, but on the Sabbath, friends, God is giving us one day of week to not look at our spreadsheets, our work, our sports, our homework, our recreation, our entertainment, our hobbies. He wants us to take our mind off of those things and our focus off of those things, reminding us those things will be there Monday. And he wants us to look past our work to see his finished, completed work that he accomplished in Jesus Christ. See, 2,000 years ago when Jesus came, he actively worked and obeyed every commandment that God has set forth. All 613 total of them in the Old Testament. He fulfilled these 10 commandments as well perfectly. And he did so so that he might be righteous and that if we place our faith in him, we might receive his righteousness and be blessed by God. That we might look past our sins of the week, the ways we have wronged our spouse, the ways that we've yelled at our children, the ways that we haven't acted rightly to people that we worked with. He wants us to see that our sins are forgiven in Jesus and his perfect sacrifice on the cross. One day a week, we need at least to be reminded of that. And it is a privilege. That's why verse 11, God said that he blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Do you believe that this is a blessing for your good? It is a blessing to feed our souls, to come together one day a week and to focus on the worship of God. The Puritans used to have a a name for this. They called it the Sabbath, the market day of the soul. By the way, that's the title of the sermon. I just changed it in the last five minutes, okay? That's the title of the sermon, market day of the soul. I love this. And, And they had this idea. They said, six days we work to feed our bodies. We go out into the marketplace, we work, you know, we punch in, we punch out, we go to the grocery store, we buy all these things, we maintain our lawns, we fix our roofs because we need to take care of our bodily needs, One day a week, God is saying, come and give nourishment to your soul. This is the market day of the soul. What you're experiencing now, because here you hear a message that nature bathing will never tell you, is that you are a sinner who is deeply loved by God and he has sent a savior to die for your sins and forgive you, to give you a taste of what heaven is gonna be like. That's the market day of the soul. That's why God gave you the Sabbath. And I just want to finish with a challenge. Because, by the way, this is a commandment of God. And isn't it ironic that God has to command us to do things we know is good for us? I find that ironic. But there's a challenge. It comes from a guy named R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul said, the question for everyone is not, do you believe in God? Because the Bible is clear. Everyone believes in God. Knowledge of God is inescapable. But he said this, the question is not, do you believe in God? But do you believe God? Do you believe God? Do you believe that it is God's will for your life to set aside the Sabbath day as a holy day, as a day of worship, that it's not optional? That it's not optional. Do you believe that God's pattern of life is best, better than the pattern of life you are living? Just as a way of application, what that means is that we no longer, as followers of Jesus, schedule worship around our work, but we schedule work around our worship. And then lastly, ask yourself this, do you believe that the Sabbath is a privilege? Friends, no amount of commandments is gonna force you to change. It's only once you realize that God's intention is to bless you and to give you a privilege offered to no one other than those who place their faith in Jesus. Do you believe that you need this message of the gospel week in and week out as a market day to feed your soul? That's the challenge I want to leave you with. Do you believe God? Let's pray. Father, uh, we're grateful that you tell us 10 commandments to thrive by. And we thank you that as we're examining what the cross-shaped life looks like, we know that that is not just something that is morbid, that is not something that is filled with darkness, but actually you want us to live the cross-shaped life because it's for our good and for our flourishing, and for our blessing. Would you bless the rest of our day? And would you help us be obedient to this command so that we could hear more of what you have to say to us in scripture, that we would send time praying to you and connecting you, with you and growing in our relationship with you? And would you help us as we move forward in following Jesus, would you help us to be obedient to this way of life, this pattern of life that you've set? We ask this In Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit, amen.